ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're going to start with uh, the next kitab of this silsila kitab tawhid الذي هو حق الله على العبيد the book of tawhid which is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it talks about the right of Allah jalla wa ala upon the servants and the author is Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab and the book is in the subject of or the science of aqeedah so inshallah today's class will be uh, a muqaddimah an introduction in which I'll mention about two points and in the muqaddimah I'll be explaining how the explanation will go how the show, how the lessons will go and how the book is and so on and then we're going to study two chapters of the book, inshallah. Then we're going to study two chapters of the book, inshallah. The explanation is going to be summarized. And I want the students to write down the benefits or the points that I mention. Because it's extremely important for them to understand the book that they write. So the first muqaddimah is or three muqaddimas three points in the introduction the first muqaddima is a tarjama a short biography of imam muhammad abdul wahab rahmatullahi alayhi rahmatullahi wasi'a his name is sheikh muhammad abdul wahab rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatullahi wasi'a that's first and foremost he was born in 100 1115 after the hijrah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in najd and he died 1206 after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. He started to seek knowledge from a young age, a very young age. He memorized the Quran before he was 12. And he was born from a family of, or to a family of scholars and people of knowledge. And at a young age, he started to seek knowledge. And he studied under all of the scholars that, around, that were around in his village and the area that he lived in. From them, his, dad's, his dad and his uncles. Then he traveled to Hajj and then he came back and then he traveled to Hijaz again. And he studied from the scholars of Hadith in Mecca, in Medina. Then again, he traveled to Iraq, which he sought knowledge under the scholars of those of that area of that vicinity and it is said that his rihla lasted about his journey lasted about 15 years so he would seek knowledge over there for about 15 years and that's where he started to offer the author this book that's why kitab tawhid is one of the first books that sheikh muhammad abdul wahab rahimahullah authored one of the first books that sheikh muhammad abdul wahab rahimahullah authored and he authored it roughly around the age of 24 or so. He was about 24 years, years old when he authored it. And in Basra, where he was, he enjoined the good and forbid the evil. Rahmatullah forbade the evil, rahimahullah ta'ala, rahmatullah But obviously that wasn't welcomed. Uh, just like any other person who was called to the good and forbid the evil. Then he traveled back to his area where his father resided. And then he carried on giving the da'wah in that way. His father passed away. Then he moved to another city or another village. And then his da'wah was going well for quite some time until 
because he was becoming famous and his area or the village that he was in was becoming famous for spreading the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously there appeared many enemies out of the woodworks. So the, the leader of that village was threatened with two options, two things. Either take Muhammad Abdul Wahab out of your city. Some even said that he was told to kill him. And another person or the other option was that we going to stop giving you all of the handouts that we're giving you. The person or that leader of that village opted for the latter and he said, I'd rather keep my handouts, the handouts that you're giving me. So he kicked Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahmatullahi alayhi rahmatan out. And it is said that he told someone to kill him on his way as well. But the person that was due to kill him found that he was a righteous man. So he left him alone. He went to Dir'iyya, which is now in Riyadh. And he stayed with some of his students. And then the wife of Muhammad ibn Sa'ud, Muhammad ibn Sa'ud, his wife, said or told her husband that there's a righteous man and a righteous sheikh and that he should welcome his da'wah. And then when he said, Tayyib, I will accept his da'wah, tell him to come to me. Like because she was a woman who was righteous and she was a very intelligent woman, she said, La, you go to him because it shows that you want him and it shows that you're obviously humble and it shows that you're honoring him because you're the leader and yet you still go to him. You're the leader of the village, but you're still going to him. So he did so and they agreed upon calling to the way of Tawheed, of, the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, calling to Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the da'wah of Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab, that's why it's called Ittifaqul Imamaini. That is the agreement that the two Imams had. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullahu ta'ala, rahmatullahi and Sheikh Muhammad ibn Saud, who is now known as the family of Saud or Dawla Saudi, um, Saudi Arabia, or Al-Mamlak Al-Arabiya Saudiya, their foremost, their forefather, who was known as Muhammad ibn Saud. So they had the agreement, and the agreement was that they called to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Sheikh had the knowledge, and Muhammad ibn Saud rahimahullah, rahimahullah, had the political power. And then the da'wah of Tawheed spread out, spread far and beyond. And it spread into the Arabian Peninsula. And then there were enemies to the Sheikh, rahimahullah, like not to the Sheikh himself, not because he was Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, lacking to what he was carrying. Just like our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they did not hate him because he was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They hated the message, the call that he was carrying. So they had the same enmity for Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah. So they would attack them from time to time. Attack who? Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahhab. To the extent that they were prevented from performing Hajj at times. Although they tried to rectify between them and those people that were running Makkah or the Holy Lands and so on and so forth. Lacking to no avail. And then they attacked them. Mathalan Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahhab and his people were attacked almost three times. Then obviously they had the choice to defend themselves. Rather it was wajib for them to defend themselves and then they defended themselves and then they ended up taking over the whole of Hijaz they took over the whole of Hijaz like in the message did not change the message of calling to the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not did not change because that is what Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab's da'wah was known for and then the Sheikh rahimahullah he carried on in that way 
and his children carried on in that way and his grandchildren carried on that way and all of the imams that took knowledge from him or his grandchildren or his great great grandchildren they carried on giving the da'wah of Muhammad Sheikh Muhammad uh, carried on carried on passing on the da'wah of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah ta'ala until this day and you will find Ahlul Sunnah rahimahullah wherever they are teaching the books of Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab and that is because they are full of verses from the Quran of Allah and statements from the ahadith from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and statements from the Salafus Salih. Therefore, what Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab came with was not a new religion and it wasn't a new sect. It was merely tajdeed. It was revival of that which disappeared. Just like Sheikh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatan wasi'ah during his time, you would find every group of deviants, every sect you would find. Like in Shaykh al-Islam, stood tall and refuted every single one of them. Whether it's those that refute the names of Allah subhanahu wa negate the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in totality, whether it's those that affirm only seven, whether it's all of the types of Ahlul Bid'ah and the Kufar and the Mulhideen and the Kufar, the Mushrikeen and the Nasara, he refuted every single one of them. Rahmatullahi alayhi rahmatullahi wasi'ah. So Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahimahullah was only a mujaddid, someone who revived the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa taala after it had disappeared in many lands of the of the Muslims. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, at the head of every hundred, Allah jalla wa ala will send a mujaddid, a person who renews the religion of Allah subhanahu wa taala, revives the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And in our era, alhamdulillah, rabbil alamin, we've had Many great Imams. From them, Sheikh Nasir al-Din al-Albani, Muhammad Nasir al-Din al-Albani, Sheikh Ibn Baz, rahmatullahi alayhi, and Sheikh, and Sheikh Muhammad Salih al-Thaymin, rahmatullahi alayhim, ajma'in. So they called to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, exactly the way Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab did, and the way that Sheikh al-Islam, rahmatullahi alayhi, did. And their da'wah is only a, 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 a stretch of the da'wah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So anyone that hates Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahmatullahi alayhi or belittles him or insults him, they are either ignorant of who Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab was and what he called to, or they are innovators or mushrikun. One of those three. They are either innovators or let's say the first one. They are juhal, they are ignorant of Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahmatullahi alayhi and what he carried. Or they are mushrikun, people who grave worship, who call to the dead, call upon the dead, make dua to the dead. And obviously Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab warned against all of that. That's what his da'wah is against, just like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And thirdly, they are mubtadi'ah, they are innovators. So Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, is loved by every single person from Ahlul Sunnah. The people of Ahlul Sunnah love Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab, not because of who he was, like in because of what he carried. Just like we love all of the scholars of the Sunnah because of what they carry. And only a person of deviation hates him. Take that as a general, uh, general principle. The Salaf would say, whoever loves this individual, he's a Sunni. Mathan, whoever loves Imam Ahmed is a Sunni. Whoever dislikes Imam Ahmed is a Mubtadi'. 
And the same can be said for Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatan wasi'ah. That is the first muqaddimah or the first introduction. The second mas'ala in the introduction is why are we studying Kitab Tawheed? Why are we studying Kitab Tawheed? The first reason is because it is the best book that has been authored in that chapter. In the chapter of Tawheed Al-Uluhiyyah. And the scholars have praised it a lot. From the time the Sheikh authored it up until today. And they teach it in abundance. To the extent that Sheikh Ibn Baz, rahimahullah, every time that it would end, they would finish the explanation of Kitab Tawheed, they would start again. And Sheikh Ibn Baz was in a da'wah for more than 60 years. So every time they would finish a book or finish Kitab Tawheed, they would start again or he would start again, rahimahullah. Also, the scholars have explained it with many explanations. There are those that are volumes long, then there are those that are summarized. And if someone was to say that it is the book that has been explained the most in the Islamic library, they wouldn't be far off. Although there are other books that are similar, such as Bulugh al-Maram and so on and so forth. Lakin and the Sahihain. Lakin, the explanation of this book are, the explanations of this book are many. The second mas'ala is that the book, or why are we studying the book? The second reason is because it is filled with verses from the Qur'an, because it is filled with verses from the Qur'an, and a hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and a hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and statements from the Salaf al-Salih And statements from the Salaf Number three or the third reason we're studying this book And it is of extreme importance Is because it, is, it has been authored and written in a way that is very easy to understand It has been written In a way That it is very easy to understand. So when you come across a verse or a hadith, you're easily able to refer to the point of evidence. You know the word istidlal. You know the point that the shaykh or the point of evidence where he's referring to. Also the shaykh rahimahullah, he wrote it in a way which is similar to the way that Al-Bukhari was written Meaning He would mention a bab, a chapter And then under the chapter title He would mention evidences A verse from the Quran of Allah Jalla wa ala, Or a hadith from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Or a statement from the Salaf al-Salih Rahmatullahi alayhim Or a statement from the Salaf So the book 
contains that. It does not contain many words of Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab rahimahullah. Rather, if you was to try and count the number of words that he has said, it wouldn't equal up to maybe a page. Although the book is longer. Although the book is longer. And that is because when the Sheikh is authoring, he wants to number one, connect the people to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also, those people that are idol worshippers and Ahlul Bid'ah, when they look at it, they can't refute it. When they look at the book, they can't refute it. It is too strong in evidence. Why can't they refute it? Because there's a verse and there's a hadith. Where could they possibly refute the verse? There will be kuffar. What could they reject? The hadith of the Prophet وسلم? La. Therefore, he minimized his statements, rahmatullahi alayhi, and his majority is written, is compiled of verses from the kitab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hadith from the Prophet. The last point is that the scholars have all encouraged, all of the scholars have encouraged students of knowledge to read this book, to understand it, to memorize it, to teach it. All of the scholars have encouraged the students of knowledge to read this book, to study it, to memorize it, and to teach it. So when you're here studying this book, it is not only for you to benefit. You're not studying here, you're not sitting here and taking these notes so that you can benefit only. Lakin, it is so that tomorrow you can teach it. It is because and so that tomorrow you teach it to those people that are far and beyond. Therefore, try to understand the book, every chapter, every and every evidence. The third mas'ala from this book. So what was the first one? Introduction to the Shaykh, rahmatullahi alayhi. The second is why we study and why are we studying this book. The third mas'ala is how or important things before studying the book. Important things or important points to take into consideration. Important points to take into consideration before starting the book. The very first thing is that the student of knowledge before the class, they should read the matan. They should read the book. Not the whole book, but the first matan. For example, today we're starting, inshallah. Try to read the first three chapters. And it doesn't mean that you spend two hours on it. Just read the evidences, have a quick glance. Read the evidences and see what they refer to. Read the title of the chapter and every hadith or every verse, try reading it. And try memorizing it. You can memorize it after the class, during the week and so on. Like in what's required before the class is that you understand it or that you read it before the class. 
Because the benefit of that is when you're in class, you won't be totally confused. Because you would have read the mutton in advance, at least a chapter or or two or three. The next mas'ala, so what was the first one? For the class to read. For the students to read before coming to the class, to read the part where they think they're going to study today. The second mas'ala is to know the connection of every chapter heading to the book of Tawheed, to the actual book. To know <coughs> the relationship, what did I say, the connection? Uh, the connection between every chapter, the chapter and the actual book. So for example, let's say there's a chapter called, what is the book called? Kitabu Tawheed. The book of Tawheed. That is the title of the book. Then he will bring, rahimahullah, chapters. Babu kada, babu kada. Let's say, for example, one of those is Babu Fadli Tawheed. Bab, the chapter of the virtues of Tawheed. What I want you to understand is what is the connection between Babu Fadli Tawheed, the Bab of the virtue of Tawheed, and the actual book. Where does it come into it? What is the correlation? What is the relationship between this chapter and the subject of the book? And inshallah, hopefully you see an example of that today. And also to know the connection between different chapters. The third point is to know, obviously the book consists of what? Chapters. And what is under the chapters? Evidence. So let's say, for example, the first chapter is on the obligation of Tawheed. And the first verse is Try to understand the connection between the verse and the chapter. What is the connection between it? And that helps you as a student of knowledge to get your evidence in order, to get your understanding in order. Which is to understand the evidence and the chapter title. That goes for every single chapter. So for example, if the imam, which he's not going to do, but if a person was to bring a chapter on Tawheed, and then they get a verse on the virtues of being dutiful to the parents, is there a connection? Is there a direct connection? No, there isn't a direct connection. So the evidence is, that you're studying for every chapter, you have to know the, ev- the connection between the evidence and the chapter. Also, you have to understand the wajhul istidlal. How is this verse an evidence? How is this verse an evidence? How is this verse an evidence? The next or the fourth mas'ala is we won't digress from the meaning of the chap- the book. We won't digress from the meaning of the book 
Meaning we won't go into the other benefits that are found in the verse. So if Allah says, وَعْبُدُوا If Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, mentions a verse with evidence, in this verse, Allah says that He has decreed that we don't worship anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we are dutiful to the parents. This fa'idah and this mas'ala, we're not going to study. This fa'idah of parents and being dutiful to them and so on and so forth. However important it is, it is extremely important. And it has come in the Qur'an many times But we're not going to study that Our main concern while study, when studying this book Is to understand the masail The points that relate to what? To Tawheed And that is the best way to explain any book Because if we were to try studying Every single benefit Every single benefit in the book It would will take years Like in the most important things We're here to study Kitab Tawheed So the evidence is We'll only pick out The Masail or the points Relating to what? To the Tawheed of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala Also I want all of the students Or before the Before this point At the end of every chapter at the end of every chapter, the Sheikh brings fihi masail benefits. Now, these benefits are just benefits that are derived from the chapter, from the verses and the hadiths that are found in the chapter. Sometimes they are 30, sometimes 20, sometimes 5, sometimes 1, sometimes 10. But they are only the benefits that are taken from the Evidences Sometimes what I will want you to do In class Is when we're studying the benefits I will ask you Where do we start, Where do we derive this benefit from <coughs> And I want you to go back to the hadiths of the chapter And the verses of the chapter Meaning the evidences of the chapter And say Ustad it is that point It is that point This The tenth benefit is found in this hadith Or in that verse Is that understood the last point is that you have to write. You have to have a book in front of you, a notebook, a notepad, and a notepad and a pen, or whatever device you're using. And you have to write the connection between the chapters and so on, all of the benefits or some of the benefits that you're hearing, and the different categories of different masail. Because if you write you will memorize. The more you write, the more you memorize. Is that understood? So we'll study the we'll start with the first chapter, inshallah. And the brother that's reading will read the verses of the Quran as they are in the Mus'haf in Arabic. Like in a hadith and the statements of the Salaf, he will read them out in English to save time. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وسلم كتاب التوحيد وقول الله تعالى وما خلقت الجن والإنس إلا ليعبدون وقوله تعالى ولقد بعثنا في كل أمة رسولا أن اعبدوا الله واجتنبوا الطاغوت وقوله وقضى ربك ألا تعبدوا إلا إياه وبالوالدين إحسانا وقوله واعبدوا الله ولا تشركوا به شيئا لا تنفذ فوله وشاي يؤن قل تعالى ما ألا تشركوا به شيئا وقوله قل تعالى أتل ما حرم ربكم عليكم ألا تشركوا به شيئا إلى قوله وأن هذا صراطي مستقيما فاتبعوه الآية أن حديث قال ابن مسعود أن عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه يسد Whoever wants to have a look at the will that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam placed his seal upon, then let him recite the Most High saying, Say, come, I will recite what your Lord has prohibited for you, that you do not associate anything with him, up to the ayah, and surely this is my straight path. And Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu, may Allah be pleased with him, said, While I was riding upon a donkey with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said to me, O Mu'adh, do you know what Allah's right is upon his worshippers and what the worshippers' right upon Allah is? I replied, Allah and his messenger know best. He said, Allah's right upon his worshipper is that they worship him without associating anything with him. The worshippers' right upon Allah is that he does not punish anyone who does not associate anything with him. I said, should I tell this to the people? He said, do not inform them since they may depend solely on it. This was recorded in the, in the two sahihs. There are some important points. No, leave the important points for now. We're going to get to that in the end, inshallah. So the Shaykh starts off, rahimahullah, by saying, Kitab al-Tawheed. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa sallallahu ala muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ala alihi wa sallam. Starts off by saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And that is from, or it is a sunnah to do so, First and foremost, because and it is a sunnah to start writings with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, because the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every surah starts with the Bismillah, except for one surah, Surah At-Tawbah. And the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim whenever he'd be sending letters to different leaders and different kings. And rulers. So that is from the etiquettes of authoring. And then he, Rahmatullah <coughs> alayhi, sent peace and salut- he praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sent peace and salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And for this chapter, he starts off with Kitabu Tawheed. Kitab at Tawheed. And then he says, and the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I have not started, created the jinn and ins to accept that they worship me. The Shaykh rahimahullah for this first chapter he did not give a heading. For this first chapter he did not give a heading. And some of the scholars say that it is an introduction. 
So for those scholars that say it is an introduction into the book, they will say the chapters of the book are 67. I have one 66. Those that say that this first chapter is an introduction to the book, they will say that the book consists of 66 chapters. Those that say that the first chapter is included, then they will say that the book consists of 67 chapters. Then they will say that the book consists of 67 chapters. So the scholars mentioned that you can give the title or you can write a title for this, which is Bayanu Wujubi Tawheed. Babu Bayani Wujub At-Tawheed. Babu Bayani Wujubi Tawheed. And that literally means the chapter or clarifying the obligation, the chapter dealing with clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. Clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. So this first chapter, the maqsood behind it, if I say the maqsood, it means the intent. Also, if I say maqsoodul bab or maqsoodul tarjama, the meaning of the chapter or the meaning of the title or the heading, that means what it stands for, what it means. So that chapter that you've just written or that title that you've written, it talks about clarifying the fact that tawheed, the tawheed of Allah is an obligation upon every person. Is that understood? That first chapter deals with clarifying the fact that and mentioning the fact that the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is obligatory upon every person. And the Tawheed that is being referred to here and in the coming chapters is Tawheed al-Uluhiyya. So on that note, we've studied the title. What is the title that we can possibly give this chapter? Bayanu Wujubi Tawheed. Clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. What is the intent of this? What is the intent of this first chapter? Clarifying the fact that Tawheed of, that tawheed of Allah is wajib. That title that you've just written down, what supports it is the fact that every verse that the Shaykh brings and every hadith that the Shaykh is going to mention is try is to prove that masala or is to prove that line or that title that you have just written down, which was 
clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. The Sheikh mentions about seven verses, one hadith, and one statement of a Sahabi, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. And Tawheed is of three types. Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of three types. The very first is Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. And that means to single out Allah in those actions that are specific to Him. For example, Al Khalq. That Allah creates, that Allah Jalla sends down rain, that Allah Jalla nurtures the creation, and so on. The second type of Tawheed is Tawheed al Uluhiyya. or Tawheed al Ibadah, it's the same thing. In some books you'll hear or you will read Tawheed al-Uluhiyya and some you will read, come across Tawheed al-Ibadah. And that means Ifradullahi bil-Ibadah. To single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all forms of worship. And we shall understand or learn what worship is. Like if you pray, you pray to Allah alone. If you make dua, you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and so on and so forth. And the third type is Tawheed al-Asma'i wa-Sifat. The Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Beautiful names and attributes. And that means that we affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that means that we affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that which he has affirmed for himself from names and attributes. Without changing the meaning or denying the meaning So these are the three types of Tawheed Tawheed al-Rububiyyah Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah and Tawheed Al-Asma' wa Sifat.
and the book concentrates mainly on the middle one, the second one, Tawheed al-Uluhiyya or Tawheed al-Ibadah, the Tawheed that deals with the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason for this is because this is the Tawheed in which there was a problem and a dispute between every prophet and his people. And the reason why the book deals with the middle or the second type, which is Tawheed al-Ibadah, is because this was the Tawheed in which the problem was or the dispute was between every prophet and his people. And the next mas'ala that you might also want to write down is how did Ahlul Sunnah, how did the scholars of Islam arrive at the conclusion that Tawheed is of three types? And who can answer that? You should all be able to answer it. Well, the answer is by following and looking into the evidences and by following all of the evidences and looking into all of the evidences and coming to a conclusion that there's only three types of Tawheed this doesn't mean there are three gods It just means that we're worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from three different things that are exclusive to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact that he creates and he maintains and everything will go back to him comes from him. Yawmul Qiyamah, Maliki Yawmiddin, the owner of the last day and so on. And the fact that all types of ibadah is for him and the fact that all types of beautiful names and attributes are for him alone. So no one can say you Wahhabiyyah are coming up with three gods or you're making things up as you go along. Because if you look into the Quran and the Sunnah, you will find that all of the evidences show us that they are these three. طيب. So that is with regards to the chapter title. What is the chapter title? Abu Bayani. Wujubi At-Tawheed The chapter that deals with clarifying the obligation of Tawheed What is the Tawheed that is being referred to here? Tawheed Al-Uluhiyah The Tawheed of Worship طيب. Then the Shaykh says Rahimahullah Qala Jalla wa'ala Wama khalaqtu al-jinna wal-insa Illa liya'budun 
وما خلقت الجن والإنس إلا ليعبدون If the verse means وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I have not created the ins and the jinn إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ except that they worship me. So where Allah Jalla says إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ underline that. إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ which is the last part of the verse. Or in English where it says Except that they worship me Underline that Because that is the point of evidence And in order to understand Ibadah Abdullah ibn Abbas عنه, He said Kullu ma warada fil qur'ani كل ما ورد في القرآن من العبادة فمعناها التوحيد Every time that you come across عبادة in the Quran of Allah سبحانه وتعالى then the meaning of it is the توحيد of Allah سبحانه وتعالى then the meaning of it is the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the verse means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for his worship alone. And ibadah means, or the definition of ibadah, one of the most comprehensive definitions of ibadah is the definition of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah in his book Ubudiyya. He says that ibadah ismun jami'un lima yuhibbuhu allahu wa yardah. It is a comprehensive name. That inter- a comprehensive, comprehensive word that entails everything that Allah loves and is pleased with min al-aqwali wal-a'mal from statements and actions al-zahirati wal-batina that which is apparent and that which is hidden so worship is everything that Allah loves and is pleased with. Now that worship, it could be a statement, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, reading the Quran, or an action, for example, praying the Salah, going to Hajj, fasting. It could be apparent something that you can see, مثلا, someone paying Sadaqah or going to Hajj. Or it could be something that is hidden, for example, the tawakkul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The tawakkul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this verse shows us that Allah has created us for his tawheed. Allah has created us for ibadah and ibadah is tawheed.
and the connection between the verse and the chapter is that the chapter wanted to tell us the title was the obligation of Tawheed. <coughs> so what he has to do, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, is bring evidences that should point towards what? The obligation of Tawheed. And this verse, it points towards the obligation of Tawheed in the sense that Allah says he hasn't created us except for that. He hasn't created us except for that. For what? For the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the Ibadah of Allah. And every meaning of Ibadah is Tawheed in the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the first verse. Ismun Jami'un. The Ibadah. Ismun Jami'un. Lima yuhibbuhullahu. Wayangdahu. Min al-aqwali. وَالْأَعْمَالِ الظَّاهِرَةِ وَالْبَاطِنَةِ Then the Shaykh says the second verse or mentions the second verse where the Shaykh says وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا وَقَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ in this verse, Allah says, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ Verily, we have sent to every nation, meaning those nations that have preceded us, رَسُولًا A messenger. And what were these messengers calling to? أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ Underline the part in the verse where it says, and if you're reading from an English book, the part where it says we have sent, and the part, the last part where it says, after the message, we have not sent a messenger, or we've sent every messenger to his people with the command of that they worship Allah and that they stay away from the Dagut. And that they stay away from the Dawood. So the verse shows how does this verse show that Tawheed is wajib? And the answer is that the verse has contains Bayanu Ijma'i Rusuli alayhi salam ala. الدعوتي إلى توحيد إلى توحيد الله بيان إجماع رسولي على الدعوة أو على الدعوة إلى توحيد الله وأن الله أن الله إنما أرسلهم لأجله which means that Allah's the verse clarifies that all of the prophets were in agreement and were united on calling to the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And the fact that Allah only sent them for that purpose. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only sent them with that and for that purpose. So the verse, how does the verse show the obligation of Tawheed? Said, huh? Excellent. To clarify, or the verse clarifies that all of the prophets were united, Jazakallah Khair, were united and there was consensus among them. They were united in the calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tawheed, in the fact that they called to the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fact that Allah only sent them for that. So note where Allah says, Ani'budullaha wajtanibu ta'ud. Ani'budullaha, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From the previous verse, you already know what worship is, right? Worship is those things that Allah jalla wa ala commanded us with and that he loves. And that are exclusive to him. So in this verse, Allah is telling us, that he sent these messengers with these two things. That they would tell the people to worship Allah and and to stay away from the Taghut. And Taghut means Taghut means Kullu ma jawaza bihi Kullu and Dawood means everything that the servant passes beyond its limits, causing transgression, whether it is something that is followed or someone that is followed, or worshipped or someone that is worshipped, or someone that is obeyed, that people obey. So for example, magicians, fortune tellers, idols, those people that call the people to worship them, or those people that call the people to follow them and contradict the sharia, making things halal, making things haram, all of these are dawaghit. So a taghut is something that is worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these prophets said to their people, worship Allah and stay away from every other thing that you are worshipping besides Allah. What were the prophets saying? 
Worship Allah, meaning if you pray, pray to Allah. If you make dua, make dua to Allah. If you slaughter, slaughter for who? For Allah Jalla wa'ala. And what else? Stay away from da'ut. What are da'ut? Everything that is worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything that is worshipped instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is called a ta'ut. And if it's a person, a human being, then you add and they are pleased with it. And they are pleased with it. So for example, who does that take out? Isa alayhi salam. Because Isa is worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are those from the creation that worship Isa alayhi salam. Lakin, is Prophet Isa alayhi salam pleased with that? La hashahu. Therefore, he is not a Dawood. Therefore, he is not a Dawood. What was the chapter title? Babu Bayani Wujubi Tawheed. Meaning, the chapter that talks about clarifying or that aims to clarify the obligation of Tawheed. What was the verse, first verse? Allah says وعلا, I have not created the jinn and the ins Except that they worship me Where is the point of evidence And what is the connection between the verse And the chapter that you've just named What does the verse tell us To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone And worship means the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala طيب. So this verse shows that we were only created for the Tawheed of Allah. So it shows the importance of Tawheed from the angle that we were only created for the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that understood? The second verse is what? What does this verse tell us? What does it show us? That all of the companion, all of the prophets were united in what? The, to, the call to Tawheed. So it shows us the importance of Tawheed because all of the prophets that were sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came to their people to call them to Tawheed. And as you can imagine, they would only call to those things that were at the utmost important that were of the utmost importance and more specifically what part of the verse points towards the obligation of tawhid that you worship allah which and that you stay away from the taghut what is the meaning of taghut everything that is worshiped besides allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are pleased with it so the prophets were saying to their people, worship Allah and do not worship these things. Is that not a simple call? Khalas. The next verse, the third verse, Allah Jalla wa'ala says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ الْحِسَانَ Allah Jalla wa'ala in this verse commanded the people with the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this verse, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the people with his worship. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَنْ your Lord has decreed أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا that you do not worship إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ except him. So this verse أَمْرٌ بِعِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانُهُ وَتَعَالَى There's a command to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wahdahu On his own So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Affirm Before we get to that what, How does the verse show the importance of Tawheed And the connection to the chapter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Waqada rabbuka Your Lord has Qada amara wa wasa Amara what qada meaning your Lord has decreed, has commanded you with Allah ta'budu that you do not worship illa iyahu that you do not worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the verse shows the obligation of Tawheed by telling us. That Allah Jalla wa'ala commanded us with worshipping Him and prohibited us from worshipping other than Him. So the verse shows the importance of the Tawheed of Allah because Allah Jalla wa'ala commanded us with His worship and prohibited us from worshipping other than him. So that is the relationship or the connection between the chapter and the verse. Who can repeat that? Don't be shy. When seeking knowledge, there's no shyness. Jeff. Excellent. So the title was the obligation, clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. And the verse commands us with the command of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, and prohibits, and prohibits us from worshipping other than him. And prohibits us from worshipping other than him. That is how the verse shows us the importance of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the verse, there's a ithbat, nafyi, a negation, and ithbat, an affirmation. In the verse, there is a negating, there is something that is being negated. And there is something that is being there is something that is being affirmed. Allah negated all types of worship other than Him. Worshiping anyone, Allah negated worshiping anyone other than Him. Allah negated, i.e., prohibited worshiping anyone 
And secondly, Allah affirmed that we worship Him alone. And secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirmed that we worship Him alone. How does the verse, what is the connection between the verse and the chapter? Who can tell me? That's the part. What else? Nah, that is Jazakallah Khair to both of you. That is the connection. Allah says, worship Allah only and do not worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not worship anyone but Allah. That means that is what? Tawheed. That shows that Allah is commanding us with his Tawheed. And if it is a command, it shows that it is what? Wajib. If someone says to you, or Allah Jalla commands you to pray, therefore salah is what? Wajib. Therefore Allah commanded us with his tawheed, therefore it is wajib. And the wajib is what we wanted to know from the chapter anyway, to show that it is wajib. Now, Allah ta'budu. Nafi. Don't worship. Illa iyahu. Accept him. So that is what verse number Verse number 3 Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says The next verse وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا In verse Or verse number Surah An-Nisa, verse 36. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So this verse, Allah says, Worship Allah and do not worship and associate anything along with Him. So this verse, how does it show the obligation of Tawheed? This verse has a command to Tawheed and a prohibition of worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is a shirk. And maybe in at the, when I was explaining the types of Tawheed I should have explained shirk. Shirk simply means ibadatu ghayrillah. Worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it has two types. Major and minor. Major shirk and minor shirk. Major shirk 
is when you divert the right of Allah, the ibadah of Allah, to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, making dua to other than Allah. <coughs> or slaughtering for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the minor shirk is that which doesn't take a person outside of Islam, but it is a path and it leads to shirk al-akbar. And an example of this is swearing by other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, swearing by other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we shall see both types inshallah in the book. So in this verse, Allah says, Wa'budullaha, that is a command. Worship Allah. Allah commands us with the worship of Allah. I.e., do this, worship Allah. And Allah Jalla wa'ala prohibits us from worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah prohibits us from worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that verse or this verse shows the importance of Tawheed because Allah commanded us with his worship which is Tawheed and warned us against the opposite of Tawheed which is worshipping and diverting worship to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next verse, how many verses have we studied so far? Four. Abdul Karim, this verse that we've just studied, how does it point towards the chapter? Where is the connection between this verse and the chapter? Nah, Jazakallah Khair. The the bad the chapter talks about clarifying and showing and demonstrating the obligation of Tawheed meaning the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and this verse commands us with exactly that commands us with worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone it is a command with worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone a command with worshipping or to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone so from that angle and a prohibition from worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the fact that Allah commanded us to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone shows that it is obligatory. Because a command in the sharia shows that what is being commanded is obligatory. Is that understood? طيب. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the fourth verse, صح? fifth Allah Jalla wa'ala says قُلْ تَعَالَوْ أَتْلُ مَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا In this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding the Prophet to tell Quraysh to come to him and he will clarify to them that which is wajib and the reason is because the people of Quraysh the people of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam they would make things haram upon themselves. They would make things haram upon themselves. 
maybe things that were even halal permissible they will make haram so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet to say to them Ta'ala come I will read upon you ma harama rabbukum I will read upon you how your Lord or what your Lord has prohibited so if you've got the Arabic in front of you the verse in Arabic in front of you underline ma harama ma harama And if you've got the English in front of you, the verse, you will say, come to that which I will read upon you, that which your Lord has prohibited. Underline the word prohibited. And then carry on where Allah says, Underline that as well. Underline the part where Allah Jalla wa Ala says, Allah tushriku that you do not associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pay attention so this verse shows the obligation of Tawheed in two ways so this verse shows the obligation in, of Tawheed in two ways the first is that the Prophet said Come to me and I shall read to you what your Lord has prohibited What your Lord has prohibited So anything that comes after that statement Is from those things that Allah has what? That Allah has prohibited Which is that which is to come So the fact that Allah says that he's going to tell us That which is haram Is one way of showing What is to come The second way that it shows the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is That you do not worship Other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That you do not associate Partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That you do not associate any partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So this verse Shows That shirk is haram Allah has made it haram Prohibited it Upon us And again has also said by using the haram word and by saying Allah tushriku bihi shay'a that you do not associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the word shay'an is related to anything I think it's called indefinitive in, the, in, in Arabic grammar anything literally means anything do not associate part, any partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that could be a prophet, an angel, the sun, the moon, other objects, anything. So in this verse, Allah prohibits associating partners with him. If Allah prohibits associating partners with him, what is the opposite to that? What commanded the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if Allah says do not worship other than Allah What does it mean? Worship, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So that is how the verse shows us 
the importance of Tawheed. The fact that Allah says to Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to tell Quraysh to come to him and he will tell them that which is haram. That's number one, the first way. And then he tells them, Allah tushriku bihi shay'a, that you do not associate anything with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any partners, do not make any partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is how the verse shows us the importance of Tawheed by warning against its opposite. By warning against its opposite. Any questions on that? No. طيب. How many verses? Five so far, sir. طيب. I think at the internet, in the earlier one, I said seven verses. What I meant was seven evidences. Five verses, one hadith, and one statement. Then the next hadith is what? Read the next hadith, Abdullah. Pay attention to the hadith. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, Whoever wants to see and look onto the final will of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa on that which his seal was upon, then let him recite the verse, say, come, or say, come and I will recite upon you that which Allah has made haram upon you, that uh, Allah to not associate partners with Allah up until the ayah, and this is my path, this is my steadfast path, the ayah. So this had this, in this, in the wording of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he states and says, if you want to look at the will of the Prophet <clears throat> a wasiyah or a will is something extremely important because it often happens or it shows the end of one's life or it is read out after one has passed away. And when a person has passed away, you often want to know what he said. What were his dying words? You often hear, what were Fulan's or this person's dying words? So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is saying the final advice and will of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is, or he says that had the seal of uh, uh, the will on it, is if you want to know, go back to the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam or the verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in this surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ تَعَالُوا أَتْلُوا مَا حَرَمَ رَبُّكُمْ These verses, these three verses, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions many commandments and prohibitions. طيب. So when Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is saying that this was the will of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that had his seal on it, it doesn't mean that the Prophet wrote or it was written by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it is now found somewhere. It means that the Prophet commanded with these things in the Qur'an. These things in these verses are things that the Prophet commanded us with. And he gave it to us as a will, as a final will, because it is found in the Quran. And the Quran is the final will of the Prophet. ﷺ. He said, ﷺ, I have left with you two things that if you hold on to, you will never be misguided. Kitabullah, Kitabullah, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Utaraktu, Kitabullah, I've left the book of Allah. Sunnati and my sunnah. So you will often find the companions saying that the Prophet gave us this wasiyah, the Prophet advised us with this, or the Prophet gave this will, and every one of them will mention different things. 
it doesn't mean that the Prophet sat with every one of them and said, this is my will and I write it to you. And this is my will and I write it to you. It means that all of these things they're mentioning, they go back to where? The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in reality, the Prophet sallallahu gave us, left us the will of the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that understood? And some of the scholars mention that this narration is weak. Some of the scholars mention, the scholars of hadith, they mention that this narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu is weak. Lacking, there are other narrations that the companions would mention the same thing. And then the last hadith, the last hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was with Mu'ad one day and they were riding a horse and the Prophet ﷺ asked Mu'ad, Ya Mu'ad, do you know the right of Allah? The right that Allah has over his creation and the right that the creation have over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Mu'ad said, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa know best. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told Mu'ad or answered the question for Mu'ad. Answered the question for Mu'ad. So he said, The haqq of Allah, the right of Allah upon the servants. أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا the right of Allah And I want you to highlight If you've got the Arabic in front of you Where the Prophet said The right of Allah upon the servants Underline that The right of Allah upon the servants Is that they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And that they do not associate partners with him And that is the part of the hadith that we want. The part of the hadith that we want. Because the Prophet said that the right of Allah is Tawheed. The Prophet said the right of Allah upon the creation is the Tawheed of Allah. Because he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that they worship him, and that they do not worship besides him. They do not worship anything or anyone besides him. So that is the point of evidence from this hadith. The point of evidence and the connection with this hadith and the chapter title is the part where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi said, the right of Allah, al-ibadi, the right that Allah has over His creation, His servants, and that they worship Him, and that they do not associate partners with Him. So it shows the importance of Tawheed. The Hadith shows the importance. Of Tawheed because Allah or because the Prophet stated that Tawheed is the right of Allah. The Prophet stated 
that the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we worship him first and foremost and that we do not associate partners with him. Who can repeat to me the point of evidence from this hadith where the connection is between the hadith and the chapter title? Someone from over there. Or someone from over here. Someone who has an answer. Nah. So that is the part. Explain it to me. Nah. The, the haqq of Allah, the right of Allah, is that we worship Him alone. That shows the importance of Tawheed because that is the haqq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the hadith shows that the Tawheed of Allah is the right that Allah has over us. If it is a right that Allah has over us, does it not show its importance? It shows its importance. On that note, we've completed the chapter. Was it difficult to understand? You know the title of the chapter and what it means. And then under every verse or hadith, you've understood, inshallah, where the point of evidence was. And that is Kitab al-Tawheed. In less than one hour, or in less than 40 minutes, you've completed a whole chapter of Kitab al-Tawheed. Because you've merely, you've, all you had to do was understand how these verses come to show the importance of Tawheed. And all of these verses are verses that you read in the Qur'an every single day. So now when you come across them, you'll know how they show the importance of Tawheed. You know how they show the importance of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we'll end off by reading the Masail. And the, and the Masail are going to be read out in English. And I may... Ask the students. Go on. Important points. Number one, the wisdom behind the creation of jinns and humans. Stop. The wisdom behind the creation of the jinn and the ins. Where does he derive that from? The first verse. I have not created the ins and the jinn except that they worship me. Carry on. Number two, that Al-Ibadah refers in particularly or in particular to Tawheed since it is the subject of the argument above. Like where does, where does the, we, where did we derive this benefit from? No. No. لا, not in the verses. The title, Babu Bayani Wujubi Tawheed. Bab, clarifying the obligation of Tawheed. And I said at that point, the Tawheed that is being referred to is what? Tawheed al Uluhiyah. Why Tawheed al Uluhiyah? Because that, no, it means the Fadullah bin Ibadah. But why is this specific, why is this kitab mainly on the Tawheed of Uluhiyah? 
That is where the prophets and and their people differ. Then, number three, whoever does not come with this, then he has not worshipped Allah. In this vein is the meaning of his saying, and you will not worship what I worship. Nah. Whoever doesn't come with Tawheed Ibadah, whoever doesn't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he hasn't in reality applied the verse of Allah. <laughs> this verse in Surah Al-Kafirun, the Prophet said to them, you are not worshipping that which I worship, and I am not worshipping that which you worship. Which shows there's a clear difference between what Allah, what the prophets, who the Prophet was worshipping, and who they were worshipping. Number four, the wisdom behind sending the messengers. The wisdom behind the sending of the messengers. First and foremost, what was the wisdom of sending the message behind the sending of the messengers? To call to the Tawhid of Allah. What verse? Where is this found in? Excellent. The Prophet Allah says that he sent to every nation a prophet. And what was the Prophet calling to? An that you worship Allah That they stay away from that which is worship besides Allah Number five That the message i.e. Tawheed Has been delivered to all nations نعم. Because Allah says That he has sent every messenger With the same message Number six That the Prophet's religion is one and the same نعم. Every single messenger called to Islam Called to Tawheed Number seven an issue of major importance here is that the worship of Allah is not realized without rejecting the taghut. In this vein is the meaning of his saying, Sallallahu Subhanahu Wa Taala, and whoever rejects the taghut and believes in Allah, he has grasped the firm hand that will not break. Now, in this benefit, the Sheikh is saying that the big masala, the important masala, is that worship is not worship unless you disbelieve in everything else that the people worship. So you cannot say, مثلاً, I'm going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'm going to be a good Muslim. Lacking these people that are making dua to the dead, then they're also doing something which is right and mashallah, their action is correct. That is wrong because that is a ta'ut and you're meant to disbelieve in that. Because that is something that is being worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the correct ibadah is that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that you stay away from and you... Uh, avoid and stay away from everything and everyone that is worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Hence, negating and affirming La ilaha There is no God that has the right to be worshipped Illallah except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then the shaykh says the verse From a yakfu bi Whosoever disbelieves in that which is worshipped besides Allah Wa yu'min billah And then also at the same time believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his tawheed Verily he has held on to the strongest of holds. Number eight, that the term ta'ut applies generally to anything that is worshipped other than Allah. That is clear. Number nine, the Salaf held the three muhkamat, the three clear ayat of Surah Al-An'am to be of tremendous importance. These ayat contain ten issues, the first of them being the, prohib- the prohibition of shirk. Now, so in Surah Al-An'am, Allah in these verses mentioned ten benefits. Ten commandments and prohibitions. And the very first one is that we do not worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we do not worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the fact that Allah made it first shows the importance of it. Number ten, the the clear ayat of Surah Al-Isra. They contain 18 issues and Allah begins them with his saying, 
Do not make a god with Allah, lest you sit disgraced and abandoned. And he ends them by saying, Do not make a god with Allah, lest you be thrown, condemned, and vanquished into Jahannam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pointed out the tremendous importance of these issues for us by saying, This is some of the wisdom that your Lord revealed to you. No. So, <coughs> <coughs> so he's referring to the verse of Allah Your Lord has decreed and commanded that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone Then he mentions, Allah Jalla wa Ala mentions 18 other points in this verse So the fact that Allah started with the Tawheed of Allah shows its importance Number 11, the ayah of Surah An-Nisa Which has been called the ayah of the 10 obligations Allah begins them by saying, Worship Allah and do not associate anything with Him. Again, in Surah An-Nisa, which contains 10 commandments, which is Ayatul Huquq, <coughs> Allah started off with the greatest and most important and the foremost command, which is, Wa'budullah, worship Allah and do not worship other than Allah. Number 12, the clarification of the will of Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, upon His death. No. 13. The knowledge of Allah's right upon us. Now, where is this found? The right of Allah upon us. Where is it found? The hadith of Mu'ad. When he said, Ya Mu'ad, do you know the right of Allah over them? And he said, Allah alam. And then he said, the Prophet said, Haqqullahi ala al-abidi, ala al-ibadi, the haqq of Allah, the right of Allah upon the servants is that that they worship him alone, and that they do not worship anyone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number 14, the knowledge of the right of the worshippers upon him if they fulfill his right. Now, this mas'ala talks about the second part of the hadith, which was, what is the right that the creation have over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? First and foremost, this is a right that Allah gave to us out of his virtue and countless bounties. A right that Allah gave us over him. What is that right? The fact that if we don't worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we don't commit shirk, and we worship him with tawhid, then he won't punish the one that does that. Allah by way of virtue, will not punish the one that worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Come in. Number 15, that most of the companions were not, were not aware of this issue. Most of the companions were not aware of this issue. The last part of the hadith said, Ma'ad said, Ya Rasulullah, if that is the right that, the people, that Allah is over them, and they have over Allah, shall I not tell them this as glad tidings? And the Prophet said, do not tell them, lest they rely upon that. It may be that they will rely upon that. Meaning rely upon the virtue and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here the shaykh is saying that the, uh, the, uh, the, this mas'ala, the majority of the companions did not know. What is it? What is it that the companions did not know? Huh? The tawheed of Allah? The reward of tawheed is what they didn't know. Or what the other companions did not know. Huh? The, the thamaga, the benefit, the fadl, which is the fact that if Allah, if they don't worship other than Allah, then Allah won't punish them. If they don't worship other than Allah, then Allah won't punish them. Meaning if they turn to tawheed, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't punish them. So that was a virtue, lacking. it doesn't mean that they didn't know the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, that doesn't harm them as well. It doesn't mean they were juhal or ignorant. For example, you know that salah is wajib, right? Okay. And there are many benefits to salah, right? To the prayer. If you don't know some of those benefits, does it harm you in any way? Of course it doesn't harm you. Because you've prayed, you'll get that reward anyway, whether you know it or not. Carry on. Number 16. 
the permissibility of withholding knowledge when it is more beneficial to do so? Right. Uh, because Mu'ad said to the Prophet, shall I not tell them? And they said, no. And the Prophet said, no, don't tell them. And that was for the benefit of those people. So that they don't hold on to that and say, like we're not going to do a lot of actions. Well, alhamdulillah, the, mount, the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is enormous. So you can also benefit in the sense that if there's a group of people and there's a type of knowledge that they may not comprehend and understand, then don't tell them. Because you know that they won't be able to comprehend it and understand it. Delay it to a later time. It's as simple as, for example, if a student hasn't studied Usul al-Thalatha, then don't tell him things about that are mentioned in Kitab al-Tawheed. Why? Because they haven't reached that yet. Go on. Um, number 17, the favorability of informing the Muslims of what gives them good news. No, I'm sorry. it's good to give Muslims good news. Number 18, the fear of depending solely upon the ampleness of Allah's mercy. No, to not do any actions and say, listen, as long as I die upon Tawheed, alhamdulillah, Allah will forgive me. Don't rely on that alone. Do a lot of actions and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number 19, the saying of the one questioned when he does not know the answer, Allah and his messenger know better. No, so... If you're if, during the time of the Prophet, the companions would say, Allah because the Prophet did know and was alive. As for this day and age, if the scholars say, if it is a mas'ala, if it's an issue to do with knowledge, then you can say, Allah and it's better to say, Allah Lacking with things to do with normal day to day life, then you can't say, Allah and his messenger know best because the Prophet doesn't know the unseen and he passed away. Number, number 20. The permissibility of departing some knowledge specifically to some people rather than others. Now, <coughs> telling some people a type of knowledge is okay that you don't tell the others. It's because the others might not be able to comprehend it. Go on. 21. The humbleness of the Prophet wasallam in that he rode a donkey with a companion ri- a rider. Now, the Prophet wasallam was, was with Mu'ad ibn Jabal who was younger than him. And they were on a donkey. The Prophet was not halted and he said, I did not say I can't hang around with these young companions. And he did not say, oh, I, need a, I need the best of the horses or camels and so on. So Number 22, the permissibility of sharing a ride on a riding animal. No, for a riding animal, if, if it's, as long as you can take the load of the people, for example, there's two people on there, that's fine. Or there's a person that is on there, that's fine. 23, the virtue of Mu'adh ibn Jabal. May Allah be pleased with him. Now, the virtue of Mu'ad ibn Jabal from the scholars of the companions and he sent him, وسلم, the Prophet sent him to, to Yemen to teach the people. And also the Prophet وسلم, said that the Mu'ad, the Mu'ad will come and he will be a, a stone's throw away, يعني, a mile away from, ages away from, far away from the scholars, in front of the scholars, Yawm Al-Qiyamah. 24, the tremendous importance of this matter. The matter of... Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa ahkam wa billahi tawfiq